Welcome to Phone Talks. This is the third episode of the brand new season of Phone Talks, Talent Edition. Created in collaboration with Paris Photo, this series presents eight talented image makers from both the Fer Curiosa sector and Phone Talent 2021. Each of the episodes welcomes two photographers, one of each organization's talent program. Brought together by a common theme and approach, the photographers will speak about their projects, motivations, as well as the challenges they encounter. I am Elisa Med, Editor-in-Chief of Phone Magazine. It is a big pleasure to announce the guests of this episode, Etter Agipong and John Yui. The conversation will be moderated by Hinde Hast. Welcome to episode three of Phone Talks Talent Edition. My name is Hinda Hast and I'm a curator at FOAM and today I am accompanied by two very inspiring women and artists, uh, Heather Agyepong and Yuyi John. Through photography and performance, they explore their own bodies as vessels for personal and collective histories. Um, their work begs the question of how photography can be and has been used to perform a gendered and racialized persona. With their performative self-portraits, the artists unearth new ways to engage the body as a target and as an instrument of visual activism. Together, um, we'll go into conversation about their respective processes and about the challenges they face. Heather, welcome. I'd like to start with you um, and talk about the project Wish You Were Here, um, which was selected to be part of Foam Talent 2021. In the talent issue of Foam magazine and in the digital exhibition that we made, 12 of your black and white photographs were published and the people who are now listening can get a, a better sense of the work if they navigate to talent.foam.org. Um, the images shown there resemble the sort of sepia aesthetic and the materiality of 19th century postcards. And we see you, Heather, in costume, performing all kinds of seemingly ritual acts. Um, you're impersonating the 19th century um, American, African-American vaudeville performer, Ida Overton Walker. Could you tell us a bit more about who this person was and why you chose to impersonate her in your work? Of course. So um, Ida Overton Walker, um was known as the queen of the cakewalk. So the cakewalk is a satirical dance that African, um, African-American enslaved people would do to mock uh, slave owners. But that, that dance became really popular. And after emancipation, that dance moved into more black performative spaces. And it became less of an idea around mockery, but more about, um, uh, a mockery of actually what it meant to be black and was in kind of minstrel shows and was something to um, ridicule black performers. But Overton Walker kind of reimagined this dance. She filled it with grace, um, real detail and skill, and she was really celebrated for this dance. Overton Walker was also quite, she spoke a lot about what it meant to be a black female performer and these kind of limited ways of embodying um, what it meant to be kind of a black performer. And she spoke in kind of publications, she became a choreographer. So she, she was really like a force to be reckoned with in the early 20th century. And James Hyman, uh, who uh, commissioned this work, the work is also at Paris Photo, um, wish you were here. The work is trying to um, 
reimagine these postcards of this idea of um, lack of agency, powerlessness, and trying to look through the lens of Overton Walker as um, an idea around, um, she's trying to kind of conjure up power, agency, um, authenticness. So I'm kind of using Overton Walker as a template to explore and empower myself to be more authentic, have a feeling of more entitlement. And also like, I guess I'm trying to feel that the kind of limited embodiments of what it means for me right now being a black creative and this idea of my work always looking being looked through a racialized lens Overton Walker really fought against that so I'm using her story to kind of as a battleground and as a fighting force for myself to I think that makes sense it does um your choice of medium for the series is interesting and it's not a coincidence. Uh, the photographic postcard became an important tool for 19th century celebrities and early 20th century celebrities to perform and to distribute a public persona. And Overton Walker was one of the first women uh, who grasped and sort of fully exploited the potential, as you say, um, to craft her own image. Um, but the sort of flip side of the postcard craze is that it's also known to have affected a certain exoticization of women, particularly, and of women uh, of color uh, as well. So, you know, as a woman of color yourself, how does your work speak to this sort of darker side or this flip side of uh, Overton Walker's history and her choice of uh, to express herself? That's a really great question. I think I'm quite obsessed with the idea of agency and power. I think because I've, my work is always around mental health because I've seen how photography ha can affect your mental health and esteem and the way things are framed, how things are cropped out, who takes the picture can affect the identity of a community or a culture. So I always want to make sure that my work centers around me and that I'm always the one in charge of kind of the gaze, the framing of the work and that the work always feels cathartic to me. So the work always starts with me having a feeling of I'm getting something from making this project. It's not just about the audience's gaze. It's about me having a feeling of release, of um, a clarity of who I am or kind of expanding the boundaries of who I am. And I think Overton Walker, even back in 1903, where she was kind of at the height of her, um, her powers as a performer, it was still very difficult because it was such an oppressive, physically oppressive time for her. So I'm kind of um, inspired that even at that time, she was really trying to um, control her own narrative. I feel like that is encouragement for me to do the same thing. So I think that her wisdom, me looking back at her life, is kind of giving me like secret bits of wisdom by looking back. I think, yeah, because I think, I think also, because my work, as I said, is about mental health, in therapeutic frameworks, there is a fear about looking back because in the, in the past, there's kind of trauma and pain and things you want to forget. But as I kind of start looking back at these kind of historical figures, 
there is so much wisdom and knowledge that empowers me in the present by looking back. So Overton Walker really is that sort of beacon of insight by looking back at her life. Hence the title, Wish You Were Here, I guess. Yes, absolutely. It has a sense of nostalgia for the past as well, a sense of longing. A hundred percent. I think I'm always looking back and looking forward. And I think that Wish You Were Here is kind of Overton Walker saying, I wish you... It's me imagining Overton Walker saying, I wish you had the courage I had, but also I'm saying, I wish you were here because there's so many more freedoms she could have had. So I think there is an important link to be highlighted about looking back and looking forward. I think I was so scared of looking back because growing up, the the past was just trauma. There was nothing inspiring or empowering about what it meant to be a woman, what it meant to be a black woman. It just felt like I just wanted to erase it. But there's so much, I've got so much assistance from looking back at these figures. So um, that link is really important, I think. When speaking of the freedom to take charge of your own image, of your own public persona, um, I'm also really inspired by you, uh, Yu Yi, your work. Um, Because, I mean, in a very different way, but very much like, I guess, Overton Walker, you also present your own face and your own body as a malleable and a marketable product. Um, you distribute your self-portraits via very, well, we would say low-brown means of mass communication, um, talking about stickers, I'm talking about temporary tattoos. Um, and your practice mostly materializes via social media. So much so even that when we first started our collaboration, uh, you didn't send me your portfolio, but you pulled out your phone and you sort of guided me through your online feeds instead of showing me uh, a classical uh, artist portfolio. And even when you do make prints, they're often not even, they're not on paper, they are on everyday household appliances. Um, for example, the series you present as part of Paris Photo, uh, you printed your face on contact lenses, on kitchen knives, even on a slab of meat. Um, so I'm, I'm wondering, you know, why this unusual choice of material to, to channel your own persona? At the beginning, I started to post in my work on social media. And then I didn't expect what I'm doing is art because I was majoring in fashion design. And that was the time when Instagram started to become mainstream. So I guess that's why, because I was, I felt beneficial by posting work on Instagram and then I got people's attention from there and there's ones I also felt Instagram is just like your name card in nowadays and the um, the reason why I chose those medium for my photography to print on the daily objects for this photos I present in a Paris photo That was a series of photography 
was trying to talk about consumer culture. So what I was thinking is there were this type of product in back in the day. People would put their figure on the product itself, just like KFC with the 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 founder on the product. And now you can see a lot of people on social media, they're promoting the product, just posting photo besides their face. How we advertising products, consuming cultural, it's changing by the days. So I was thinking to make mutual understanding and connect with people easily from just finding the approachable daily objects and then put my face on the object instead of the product besides the people who's promoting the product. So that is where my idea came from. And also I was doing a lot of logos and product or image that is really commercial on my face. So instead of putting those things on my face, I was thinking that would be a fun way to put my face on the object. The um, the choice of objects seems at one time random, but also not because printing your face on a kitchen knife might also seem slightly violent. So to me, the work also somehow triggers associations with um, a feminist critique, you know, stemming from the 1960s, where women were trying to free themselves from a life behind the kitchen counter, attempted sometimes quite violently to avert the male gaze. So would you associate your own work with this kind of classical feminist critique? Or is the knife um, not linked to that whatsoever and the, the sort of day-to-day -day kitchen appliances that you use? I think initially I wasn't linked that together. A lot of interviews would ask me about the connection between my work and feminist movement or feminism issue. I definitely think that is in my subconscious. Probably I couldn't even realize and I could not able to talk about that because my background, feminism, things like um, there's a stereotype or something is labeled in back in my country. So that was also why I was um, You're from Taiwan, right? Yes, I'm from Taiwan. What I feel is that must be sub also subconsciously, I didn't even realize it's connected. Um, I remember that I had a piece of work. I put the tweeters, icons, and tweeters information on a girl. And she had this tongue out with the follow temporary tattoo on her tongue. And I had the exhibition and some people just came to me, asked me, is that means 
means this girl would do anything for the following. And also people saw my work showing in Paris photo this time. Uh, it's a naked self-portrait of myself on a pork skin. And people would ask me, does that mean you're trying to be ironic to how female being objectified in the society? And I think it's all interesting for me because I'm sending this image message that I wasn't think about that when I came up with this concept or when I shoot in the photo during the process. But is your choice of objects um, intuitive? Oh, yeah. I think it's intuitive and... Also, I think that's my personality. I always try to act polite as my society, as my background educated me. But I have this rebellious rebel, inside of me. Like I can show to people when i in front of them. So it's like a anger. I trying to express, but I didn't able to. So it just unconsciously, genuinely showing out through my work. I find it interesting that you say that there is anger in the work, because yes, there is a lot of sort of violent references, but there's also a lot of humor in it. It's actually quite funny to look at and very uh, sort of low threshold, as you say, using social media and, and sort of um, unusual ways to present your work. Um, so where is, yeah, wh how do you sort of consciously make use of that axis between humor and anger or humor and violence? I, I was trying to mention that because I think Humor is my policy in life. I think that is the most important thing because I also really care about mental health issue because I'm was I'm now getting better, but I was suffering from bipolar disorder. But even I'm in the most depressed moment of my life, I'm still trying to be ironic in humor. And I think humor... Just, I got satisfaction by being cute, being funny among with my friends. That's how, that's a healing process of myself. And I think that's definitely the most important thing in my life. Thank you for sharing that with us. Um, Heather, I'm actually really rather curious um, to hear your thoughts when you first saw Yuyu's work. Um, and how you relate it um, to it from the perspective of your own practice, or maybe not at all. I mean, firstly, everything you've just said, you, you, I'm like nodding continuously, like yes, yes, I know. I just, I just resonate with that sort of um, oh, what you said about the unconscious, and that people will say, "Is it that? Is it that?" And you're like, "I don't even know," but it feels really exciting that your unconscious is speaking. Like when you look back at your work, 
for me, when I look back on my work, I'm like, who is that? Even though it's me, even though it's us, we're like, where did that come from? And there's such a, something about, I guess, historically in terms of feminism, there's something about the unconscious never being able to speak or policing yourself, right, or repressing yourself. So it feels quite a radical thing, your work just being so kind of unapologetic. But one question I had was that in your work, you're so visible um, to the point where I'm like, oh my gosh, like it's, does it ever feel, this is a question, apologies, but does it ever feel like people have too much access or do you feel like because you curate your work in such a way, it, people don't know all your secrets? Like what's the balance between you being hyper visible and you still keeping parts of yourself in the work? Does that make sense? Uh, there's two fell into what's this question. First, I always feel John Yui is an alter ego persona I built. So when we, when I face to face to people, a lot of people would tell me, "Oh, you look more aggressive on social media," or um, um, when we see your, um, when we see you on your photo. Um yeah, that's why I definitely felt about um because also John Yui, my artist name sounds like a male name. It's a really common Western name. So a lot of people would even misunderstood me as a guy. Um the other thing is I think I have this uh thing in my mind that sometimes I would even didn't realize. So for example, when I was back in Asia, I went on the street, I would be like, wow, now people really dress like New York in the summer, like people, girls in Asia, in especially in Taipei, when I went back, like they were really Mm, like showing their body um but I always forgot about is I always take naked photo for my work so I have this double standard or just I forgot what I I'm doing when I doing for my work so that's how it's it's quite weird I'm also think about this question as well I, the last thing I just love the messiness of it the kind of complicatedness I just think it's gorgeous <laughs> um Heather this is actually I, I could ask you the same question because both of you really use the element of performance uh in photography but also use your own bodies to impersonate a certain yeah um alter ego maybe um so a question, I guess, maybe to you, Heather, but also uh, Yuyi, I'm interested to hear about this. Could, you know, is it, how important is it to put your own body on the line in your work? Or could it also be a model? So at the beginning, there, there's a lot of reasons why I started to do self-portrait. There's one reason at the beginning, because I don't have budget and feel so bad not paying models. And I, it's really convenient because when I, I was really productive, I was, 
I came up with idea and I want to execute it in my home, I will immediately try to make it into a photo. So that's one reason. And the other reason is also I was doing this temporary tattoo. I tried to protect temporary tattoo, uh, the connection with Zhang Yui. I tried to make it mine that I won't have to um, protect it in another way. Um, so people would immediately, when they see temporary tattoo in this style, in this medium, in this concepts, they will immediately connect to who I am and my face. And I think that uh, that was the decision I so I think I have to shoot more of my selfie with a temporary tattoo. And I, th I also think I did protect now, like this temporary tattoo thing and John Yui. And I'm just turned 30 this year. I also feel there's one thing is I realized I'm more comfortable working on my own, even though it was really close friend. Close friend, I'm okay. But with people I know, if I take photo of models, I would be really anxious. That is something I just have to face that I'm easily get anxious working with other people. Yep. But it really depends on concept because I still shoot models and I'm trying to shoot more models and depends on the concept it's suitable or not. And I also want, I don't know, these two years, I want to be more behind the camera. I was just wondering, Heather, whether um, the impersonation of Ada Overton Walker needed to be you physically, or could it also have been just anybody? That's a great question. So photography fell into my lap. I had no interest in it. I, I'm an actor, um, but photography was really like a, a therapeutic outlet, if I'm honest. I, I needed to understand myself a bit more and kind of uh, get a clearer understanding of like the blocks that were in my life and these sort of um, rigid ways of seeing myself. Why do I act this way? Why do I do this? And kind of photography became a way of me unpacking it. So selfishly, I have to photograph myself because my main, my main kind of motivation is about ripping off layers of myself and kind of understanding, like getting to the core of who I am. So the choice of me using Overton Walker was that I needed this aspirational person who is this black woman who was a performer and maker who was unapologetic. And that's the kind of, that's the, the whole motivation for making that work was knowing that there's a part of me that is courageous and unapologetic, but I needed Overton Walker to kind of awaken that. So um, it had to be me, unfortunately. Um, but I hope that me being quite specific in it being me 
uh, is kind of relatable and seems genuine to the audience. So I don't think going forward, I'll probably ever use models. Maybe I say this now, but right now, there's still a few layers I've got to see of myself until that change happens. Well, both of your works are really uh, very personal. Um, but Yui, I'm quite interested to hear more about, you were talking about where you're from, um, Taiwan, but now you live in New York City a lot of the time. Um, and you told me once before that um, your work is received very differently in different countries. You mentioned the start of your time in New York was really rather difficult, not just because of the language uh, and the culture barrier, but also because you felt there was a sense of unease about your work um, that sort of went below the surface. I'm, I'm interested to hear a bit more about how this experience of migration affected your work and, you know, how it was received differently in Taiwan from the US or Europe. So I recently just got back to New York from Taiwan after almost one and a half year. Um, I was staying in Taiwan during the COVID. So I can feel once again, I need to switch between these cultural differences and adopt the cultural shocking again. I remember the first week I got back, I forgot how to use the non-binary pronoun because in Taiwan, there's the, it's it all sounds the same. There's no difference between she and he. So there's a lot of things that I have to pick up quickly, switching in both uh, places. Um, I find it interesting is I think people would probably, that's just for like personal feeling. I think people would think I'm more bold or aggressive in Taiwan, but in New York, I feel sometimes I'm like quieter or more conservative. That's, but that's just my personal feeling. Um, I left Taiwan because I wanted to move to somewhere that no one knows me and no one will comment on me. And then I came to New York. Um, uh, after a few years, I still find it, uh, it's not like uh, I can't do the completely weird thing on the street because I still see people I know. But New York is a... It's a place like running water. The people were reconstructed. And sometimes it's lonelier because you just constantly saying goodbye to people you know. New people moving and old people move. Not age old people, just people used to live here, move out. So, and also they're minding their own things. So I still feel... It's more freedom to just do whatever you want to do. And everyone will not judge you because they're so busy on their own thing. And during the past year and a half in Taiwan, were you able to make work in the way you wanted? 
did it sort of affect your practice at some point or not really? So there's always, I think there's always pros and cons because in New York, it's everything is really high cost. So I couldn't create things that would spend a lot of money. So I went back to Taiwan and then I started to do installation and people financially helped me with that because they don't, it's really small. So it's a small circle of people. If you need sources um, and then you're kind of established in their eyes, it's easy. But at the same time, I think whenever I was in Taiwan, when I speak the same language with the same accent as a young woman, people would immediately switch their mind from she from New York and she's probably have some like achievement to you're just a straight local girls and they will start to tell you what you should do and in a really polite way but also feel a little bit blackmail. It's really like a mother and daughter relationship for me towards the feeling of Taiwan and myself. I'm Heather, I'm interested in relation to the thematics of displacement, migration, you know, diaspora, but also the embodiment of a collective memory that also play a really big part part in your work. I'm talking now in in relation to another project project that you did called uh, Too Many Blackamoors. You wrote and I quote The images are based on my own personal experiences as a young black woman dealing with the macro and the micro traumas of racism encountered while traveling around European countries. End of quote. Could you elaborate a bit on, you know, this particular project, uh, Too Many Blackamoors, and particularly on how your personal experience um, you know, of migration, of living and working in London as a woman of color, sort of threats throughout this project? Yeah, I think looking back at that project, I made it in 2015. I think I wanted to talk a lot about shame and secrets. And um, I guess the that the first conversation of that project started with, I spoke to my friend and I said, you know, when you go to European countries, do you ever Google what the demographics are, or is this place racist? And we we both shouted like, yes, but we've never spoken about it. And I just started talking to loads of my other friends, also different races of friends, just non-white people. And we all kind of did the same thing. And I won, there was something about it being a secret, feeling like shame and it festers. So there's an embarrassment about it. Um, and when I was traveling at that time, crazy stuff happened. And because I wasn't sharing it with anyone, it felt even worse. So I think that project, I also wanted to unearth those secrets, right? And I think those secrets happen a lot in marginalised communities out of survival. There's a thing I was talking to my friends who parents of immigrants and their parents keep a lot of secrets. And a lot of that is because they had no time and space to excavate those traumas, see a therapist. There was no time for that. They had to just get their work done and survive. So I feel privileged now as being a second generation kid to be able to talk about these 
secrets and then not always just and it and it feeling like a process in healing not just talking about trauma for trauma's sake but how can we process this thing how can we move on and I think it's about truth telling so too many blackamores was really about talking about the fragility and the um the kind of uh, uh the frustration of feeling like you need to be strong being helpless being vulnerable and that not being a failure but also there being strength in that so that's kind of the heart of that uh project for me i feel like my parents couldn't talk about those secrets but the the next generation unearthing that that will help kind of generational healing that's kind of my motivation so could you describe how these secrets that you talk about or this sense of shame sort of feeds into too many black amours could you describe the project for us of course so it's similar to wish you were here there are nine images and they start off with me reimagining a figure called Sarah Forbes Bonetta. She was this adopted young Nigerian girl by Queen Victoria. Um, Queen Victoria adopted a whole bunch of kids, but this is one uh, daughter, um, one adopted daughter. She was adopted because she was creative and intelligent. And the quote is that she was given to the, from the King of the Blacks to the Queen of the Whites. That's the quote. And she was renamed Sarah Forbes Bonetta. And... Uh, all her family were killed um, and she was adopted but when people talk about her life they talk about her in this sort of like she had attitude and sass and I was like oh that's what is told always about black women but this person suffered from childhood trauma right so um, I start off reimagining myself as Sarah but then each image has either like a prop or a piece of costume which relates to a particular memory that I have had, which has something to do with shame, embarrassment, a time where I wanted to be angry, but I felt like I can't be angry, so I'm going to be quiet. Times where I've silenced myself. So each prop um, activates a memory and I'm probably in that position for like an hour. Often I'm shouting and screaming, uh, reading diary entries, having a cry, laughing, but in but in that whole kind of session, only one picture is taken. So it's kind of a reminder for myself of how I wish that situation ended up. So there's nine images of me retelling these experiences. Some of them when I went to Europe and something happened and I felt I couldn't speak. So it's me trying to find some sort of release in those situations which have felt quite shameful to me. So again, it's catharsis really through and through. Yeah, I was triggered by a sentence that you wrote on your webpage. Um, you work a lot with archives and you write, and I quote, the body is an archive. It remembers everything, even the things that the head forgets, unquote. So is that also the process that you were sort of looking for in, I guess, in both the projects that we have been talking about, um, to which this sentence pertains? Yeah, I think, I think that discovery happened way later. Um, this kind of, maybe in the last three years, I'm doing a project called The Body Remembers, a performance piece. And it's about how trauma lives in the body. So it can be aches, pains, um, even autoimmune diseases like fibromyalgia. 
and that you might know you might not think you've been through something traumatic but you're it's in your body and that as you listen to what's happening in your body you can really discover what your emotional health is but I feel like in the west we're always we're so cut off from the body everything is so cerebral and me kind of growing up in academia there was a neglect of what was happening in the body you kind of fight through pain you kind of um uh you feel tired you fight through it so I really wanted to connect the two and I think maybe looking back, looking at those projects, I really was trying to listen to my body. My body was probably shouting at me, but I really wasn't used to listening to it. So I think by the time I've now got to this performance, the body remembers, I'm realizing that my body was speaking a lot during those projects, but I was just not used to listening to it, maybe. I find it really interesting because we often think of photography in relation to the archive but it hasn't been around very long as a medium. And a lot of the thematics or the trauma that you refer to in your work is actually older than photography. And it's sort of stored, I guess, if you look at your work in the, in the body and in oral history and in written history. And somehow my mind sort of took a leap to the work of Yuyi in relation to this thought because you use your own body as an archive as well, uh, in a sense. I mean, you write on it, uh, you place these temporary tattoos on it, you, you kind of brand it with your own name or with, you know, logos of fashion brands, etc. And it feels as though you're sort of using your skin as a manuscript and you're writing in a language of logos and of images. Um, instead of words. Uh, and what, what I find interesting is that it makes your work sort of universally understandable um, or legible, but it's also open to an infinite number of interpretations. And I find it sort of ironic in relation to this podcast that you once told me that you really don't like talking about your work very much in words, but you prefer to communicate in images. So I'm quite interested to hear, you know, why that is and how that sort of feeds into your practice. Because um, first of all, I think I'm really bad at expressing myself or my work. And I think even using my native language, I can never able to express the whole idea of it. I feel I will must missing something or there will must be something that is breakable. The theory is breakable. So I prefer to have this vague area between the viewer and me as a creator. It is, I think it's quite cute people, when they see my work, they all have their own explanation. And I also feel my work is like documenting my life. It's also like my diary. So you could say what I'm doing, it's what I feel right now and what stage of my life I'm at right now. And the universal understandable thing. That's also what I was mentioned at the beginning. I tried to make this connection between him, 
other people to make people easily to understand what I was trying to tell through the image. I always think it's just like two dogs in the park. And when they walk in, there's a lot of people, but they will immediately notice there's another dog and they will have eye contact and they will say hi. That's how I feel when I'm trying to create work, um, human body, because we all have our body and skin and face. It's very, it's like an intuitive way of communicating. Yes, it is. So my last question uh, for Heather, I guess, uh, about the same kind of thing, you know, what, what power, why do you use imagery rather than words? You know, how can photography sort of go beyond the archival we've been talking about and also be a vessel for activism and, and an alternative uh, to existing narratives? Okay, that's a massive question. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to try attempt to answer. I mean, everything you said is exactly how I feel. I'm dyslexic. I'm a bit of a mess. So imagery, I just, there is that, that idea, what you said about the subconscious, there's so much in that work I'm not even aware of. There's layers in it and you can project and there's ambiguity and there's space. And growing up where things are so kind of systematically like binary, this is right, this is wrong, this is the correct thing, this is beautiful, this is not beautiful. There's something about photography, me making my own work. There is a, there is a something radical about making my own work in that way to have different interpretations and different relationships to imagery. That is always right. Whatever the audience thinks it's the right thing. And I, I just, it's just, it's just, there's a freedom in it for me, uh, making work like that. Um, in terms of activism and, and, all the, and all the rest of the thing, I think the political is personal. Personal is political. Do you know what I mean? So me and you, you have the privilege of making work that's deeply personal, but also um, a freedom to talk about whatever we want. And I just think there's something radical in making that work and it's kind of limitless. And I think that's the activism in it. I wouldn't call myself an activism, but that's kind of the, the work that's happening in our, us creating that work. So that's my vague response to that answer. <laughs> On that note, I would like to wrap up and thank you both very much for joining and for sharing your insights. Um, and thanks again for listening and enjoy your day. Thanks, Heather. Thanks, Yuyi. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you for listening. Do not miss the works of the artist and visit the Fond Talent digital exhibition at talent.fond.org and the Curiosa sector at Paris Photo. This episode of Fond Talks was brought to you as a part of the Fond Talent program. The Fond Talent program and the annual talent issue of Fond magazine are supported by the Deutsche Börse Photography Foundation and the Van den Ende Foundation. Please keep an eye on our social media for the next episode. Viva!